Here's what I want to do today, uh, something a little different. Uh, I want to gear today's message towards fathers, but apply it to all of us. But we're going to continue our series called The Good Fight. This is week five of a series called The Good Fight, where we're looking at a passage in the book of 1 Timothy, which was a letter written from the Apostle Paul to a young pastor named Timothy who pastored in the city of Ephesus. 1 Timothy 6.12, this is what Paul says to Timothy. He says, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your confession in the presence of many witnesses. We've been talking about what it looks like to fight the good fight of the faith. Now, I'll say this about fathers, and then we're going to transition. Fathers have a tendency to fight a lot of fights. We feel a lot of pressure from a lot of different areas in the lives that we live. We've got families, we've got wives, we've got uh, workplace, we've got reputation, we've got namesake, and we feel pressure to fight a lot of fights, a lot of which take energy away from other fights. And if we're all honest, there's been times, if you're a father, you can agree, where you have fought more strongly for a fight that you wish you could have gone back and fought differently for a different fight. Because when you fight for one fight, it sometimes takes away from another fight. And we like to fight. It's in our nature. But sometimes we fight the wrong fights. And so today what I want to do is I'm actually going to show you a little mini movie. The mini movie is going to speak for itself. And then I'm going to come back and share a few thoughts to close this out after this mini movie. But I think, uh, especially as, as dads on a Father's Day, that we can relate to this mini movie on some level, though hopefully and prayerfully not on a complete level. That'll make sense in just a moment. Uh, so let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump into this um, small mini movie, and then I'll be back to share a few thoughts. Father, I pray today, Lord, that you would speak directly to our hearts. For every father in the room, and even beyond fathers, to, to every uh, individual that may be hearing this, at this time, I pray, Father, that you would speak directly to our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you would steer us toward fighting the good fight, the fights that you've called us to, especially as dads. But in life, there's one fight that should take precedent over all others, and that's the fight of the faith. And so I pray that you would speak to our hearts directly this morning, that we would hear exactly what we need to hear. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's see if I can see any of that. Let's see a big smile, John. This big crowd mostly in blue, and he swings. It's a high fly ball to deep left field. It is a way out and gone. And the Dodgers win a big game. The Dodgers have made another move today in their roller coaster season. Well, after a year of instability, both on and off the field, the Fox Group finally got something right in the front office. And today, the Dodgers hired former Orioles assistant general manager Kevin Malone. The 71-year-old Lasorda says the GM job is for a younger man. My wife felt that uh, I should uh, <clears throat> not be doing it, so I'm handing the baton to uh, Kevin. <laughs> Go, Sean! Run, run, run! As Tommy would say... I feel truly blessed to be a Los Angeles Dodger. Kevin became uh, general manager of the Dodgers in August 1998. He was gone probably 
250, 270 days out of the year and worked overtime and, you know, family became second. It's difficult because you're alone a lot. I would have liked to have someone around. I was lonely and I was raising two kids by myself. As far as interacting, you know, on a daily basis with the kids, he wasn't, he wasn't there. Sean growing up was, um, was an amazing kid. He was funny, uh, fun-loving. Uh, Sean and I were not that close growing up. I feel like we were always around hanging out, but on a deeper level, I didn't really know him as well as I should. When I first met him, he, he was innocent. You know, he had, he had not got that far. Um, but you could tell that there was something he was searching. There was something he, he was looking for. I think we were really close. Especially with Kevin being on the road a lot, we kind of were alone a lot. He did karate, he did um, basketball, football, golf. He did all the different sports. He enjoyed them. To be completely honest, what it was like when Sean was born was I was basically focused on other things. I had things to do. I had players to scout. I had a team to help win a championship. I felt like uh, there was more important things, unfortunately. It, when I say that now, it makes me sick to my stomach. I think back about being gone all the time and really not thinking much about it, thinking I was a good father because I was providing and giving them all the things that they wanted. I didn't realize until much later that what they wanted was me. Sean hid his lifestyle very well. Um, it wasn't until the very end when things started, you know, becoming more noticeable. Sean started getting into drugs probably in high school. I mean, I knew he was up to something. I think the norm for most people is to start exploring uh, with substances and alcohol. There's a lot of pressure to, you know, fit in, but I think overall the norm is to start dabbling and start experimenting and just kind of see what else is out there beyond the family household. When it got to USC, it was full-blown chaos. These are kids that had resources, had money, they had all the drugs, all the alcohol, so it escalated. How can we just do anything to not be with ourselves because I'm not comfortable just being, you know, me? The more that you do this, the greater your tolerance gets. And so that means you have to take more and more in order to achieve the same desired effect. That's why it's so dangerous is because you're chasing a feeling. And, and I believe that the, the feeling that you're chasing is actually you're seeking a spiritual experience. There's got to be something more going on. I don't think Kevin wanted to talk because... You know, it's, I'm guessing it's my words, but there, there has to be some shame. Um, I know in my friendship with Kevin, I know how much he cared about Sean. And I know how much he, uh, how much he loved him, how guilty he felt being gone when he was in baseball. And uh, I'm sure he put a lot of the blame on himself, the fact uh, that he was struggling with an addiction and, and didn't want anybody to know. so much created a, a loneliness or a void in his life that I wasn't uh, the father that he needed. He totaled four cars uh, in the span of about four, five years maybe. 
but never had a scratch on him. So he felt he was invincible, which is part of the problem with him. Being like me, living on the edge, feeling he was invincible, he was living like he didn't care if he died or not. living in Santa Monica, and um, I knew Sean had taken some drugs, and I didn't want him driving because I didn't want him to hurt anybody else. And so he quickly grabbed the keys and started to run out of the house, and Kevin ran after him. I knew he had some drugs on him, but I knew he had a lot of drugs in his car, and he was leaving, and I, w I wasn't ready to deal with that. He runs out the door, and he's, he grabbed his keys, and I knew he was taking off. So I chased him out, outside on the driveway. I said, give me those keys. Give me the drugs if you've got any on you. And we wrestled, and it was wrestling back and forth, and he ended up throwing me on the ground. It was horrible, because Kevin came in crying, because he didn't, couldn't believe Sean would do that to him, would, you know just push him aside like that and, and go on for drugs. To, to England, and so I got a call from mom. She said, hey, Peter, you need to come and say goodbye to Sean. We don't know if he'll make it through the night. So I, I flew back uh, and I went to the hospital and um, he was at St. John's um, and he was just, you know, gone in some way. I'll never forget walking into the room and, and seeing Sean laying in the bed with, with the tubes and, and lifeless. I believe they said once I got there that, you know, he had done drugs and he was unconscious and not breathing for a long time, so that there was a loss of oxygen to his brain. They told me, you know, that Sean uh, probably's not gonna make it. When I first saw Sean in the hospital, it's one of those things as a dad where I've got my little girl with me and my first thought is, Wow, was she ready to see this? I didn't realize it was gonna look this bad. I wanted to cry, it was just so weird. I didn't, I wasn't used to that. When I saw him, it was just like, looked like he was dead. So I went out into the waiting room and just started praying. I started calling every man of God, woman of God I knew, texting, emailing, pray for my son. The words were that we don't think he's gonna make it. Something's wrong, he's dying. Everything's shutting down. He's got pneumonia, all his vitals, they're, 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 they're shutting down. We don't think we can save him. We don't know what's gonna happen. It doesn't look good. So I'm not gonna stay in there and watch him die. It was kind of surreal in that I was doing something I had, had assumed at one point I'd have to do. 
These are MRIs obtained on Sean from July 6, 2013 at St. John's Hospital. So these are all little strokes in his brain. These changes are consistent with what we would call an anoxic brain injury. At the time Sean was in the hospital, he was the USC the kid that overdosed. And across the hallway, there was a UCLA kid that had overdosed. And um, it's unpleasant. When patients die, I don't sleep that night. admitted Sean almost 30 days after his injury, he was still in a state of profound impaired consciousness. And he was completely paralyzed. He was 100% dependent on others for his care. At first, you just kind of go blank when they tell you that, that your son is gone. And my thought was, he doesn't know the Lord. I can't imagine my son in hell. I mean, that's what really broke my heart, was that there was no hope for him if he couldn't come out of that. So my prayer then became, God, if he knows you, take him home. If he doesn't know you, I want a full miracle. I, I, need, I need this. Uh, the doctors were telling us, we don't think he's going to make it. He could wake up and he'd be a vegetable. Sean wouldn't want to live like this. You know, it's best after 30 days to pull the plug on him. So that was, that was really tough. Unfortunately, when your life changes in a moment, the grief is unimaginable. 22 years old, it's just too young to die. And he slams it As a pastor, I felt like I was doing a funeral every month at least, um, sometimes several, because things just end suddenly, unexpectedly. I couldn't understand why, why God could do, uh, do that. Uh, you knew there was, there was something ahead for him, but all of a sudden, you saw the end just right there in front of you. And that was really difficult uh, for me and to watch family uh, that you'd known that protected him, that loved him that much, uh, that they had come to the end of his life. Sean, let me see, look up. Look straight at me, Sean. Let's see if I can see any of that. Let's see a big smile, Sean. I remember Kevin praying that evening and we're beside his bed. There was, there was a, a tear that, that came out of, of Sean's eye. Now, you have to understand, he's lifeless. The doctors are saying he's brain dead. There, there is, there's nothing there. He's, he's gone. He started crying. And it was weird. And I thought he wasn't supposed to do anything. Then all of a sudden, like, tears were coming out of his eyes. And I was just like... Any, any, uh, any cough, any blinking of the eye, you know, there's textbooks that are gonna say it's just, it's just reactionary. I felt that evening he was, he was communicating to his dad because his dad was so broken and he loved him so, so much and he was just crying out. Just 
just say, God, just save my son. Just, just, just save my son. There was a tech in there with Sean. They would talk to him just like he was, you know, there and able to speak back. And that's what happened. He spoke back to her, scared her to death. I was getting straight A's and doing drugs at the same time. My parents said I was in a coma for two months. I didn't think I was broken, but I was back in the day. I thought there was a God, but I didn't have a relationship with him. There's many wonderful people that we know that have lost their children to drugs. Um, so are we deserving? No. God just um, blessed our life to give us Sean back. I saw him literally gone, gone. All I could hear were machines. And to see him smile, walk, finish school, and go to church with us, I can't believe that he's here. I want to say thank you for my dad saving me when I was not breathing, and my mom for fighting so hard. To, to just be with me every day. Amazing. What would you have done if I died? I probably would have died too. You know, the physical story of Sean is great, but I, I think the spiritual story is so much greater and, and way, way more important. Um, because we're all gonna die. That's a guarantee. Now, spiritual life isn't a guarantee because once you die, it's over. The question is, is what comes after? And can you be sure of that? Did you see heaven? No, I did not. That would be cool to see it, though, but I didn't. Well, a lot of people um, want to know what he saw in a coma or if he saw God or if he went to heaven. And Really, Sean saw nothing. God came down to Sean. I was in the hospital. I was with my dad. And then I asked for forgiveness of my sins and asked Jesus Christ to come to my life. I was so close. The guy was amazing. That was like, he was my friend. Jesus is so different from all these other gods or religions. Um, one, the fact that he reached down 
and lowered himself and suffered for my sake. And the other big one is that he says, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise from the dead. And then he pulled it off. And you think about the disciples who, I mean, they, they ran away when he was crucified. But then when they saw that he literally rose from the dead, now suddenly these men are filled with this courage, like he really does have power over death. So, I, so it's great that Sean's walking around laughing, uh, but it's far, far more important to me that he knows God now and he's going to be with him forever. You know, from what happens from here on in is, is fine with me. I can deal with because I know where he's going. I never thought we'd be doing this a year and a half, two years ago. Yep. I thank God that we uh, can play catch again. Yeah. Right here. Such an emotional story and the reason I wanted to share Sean's story and Kevin's story with you is because I think it highlights the fight that we as fathers and all of us as individuals sometimes fight that leave us with regrets. That we could put all of our energy and all of our attention and all of our resources into something that in the end doesn't matter is a fearful thing. To hear Kevin Malone share that he wasn't the father, perhaps, that he wished he had been. I don't know about you, but I don't want to get to the end of my life and look back and wish that I had fought different fights or fought differently or that I had chosen different priorities in my life or that I had given myself completely to things that I wish I had not given myself completely to. Psalm 103, 13 says, As a father has compassion on his children, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Now we know that the Lord's not abusive, so the fear we're talking about here isn't a a frightening feeling that the Lord is going to hurt us or bring harm to us. But it's, it's a reverence. It's a submission. So those who have reverence to the Lord receive the Father's compassion just as a father has compassion on his children. And I want us to look at this verse just slightly differently. I may be taking liberty here, but I like to... Th- to look at this verse and say, a father who fears the Lord has compassion on his children. A father who fears the Lord has compassion on his children. The story of Sean, the story of Kevin is a story that it's never too late to fight the right fight. 
It's never too late to fight the right fight, which if you're a father, if you're part of a family, if you're an individual with friends or loved ones, the fight isn't just for the life of those you loved, it's for their heart, it's for their spirit. The biggest fight that Kevin Malone ever fought wasn't for his son to live, but was for his son to know Jesus. And if his son had died, he was convinced that he would have died not knowing Jesus. And the responsibility that we have as spiritual leaders of our households are for our children to fear the Lord, following our example and receiving the compassion of a heavenly father who loves us. I don't know to this point what your priorities have been. I don't know how you've lived your life or what you've been fighting for. For many, it's a career. For many, it's possessions. For many, it's opportunities and experiences. And we feel like we can express love to our children, to our loved ones most by providing things for them that are worldly. But I want to challenge us as dads to fight the good fight of the faith. The most important things that our children will ever reap from us are spiritual, are of the faith, are us demonstrating a fear for the Lord, a reverence for the Lord, and awe of God that would lead them toward compassion from their heavenly Father. I feel we have a responsibility, and I just came to tell you today that if you want to live your life with no regrets, if you want to get to the end of your days and look back over the span of your parenting, the span of your marriage, the span of your friendships, the span of your career, the only way for you to have no regrets is to, starting today, if you haven't already, begin living life in fear of the Lord. It's not about making more money. It's not about having more prestige. It's not about providing more opportunities. It's not about giving greater experiences. It's not about making life more beneficial or better in the world's eyes. It's about you making up your mind that you're going to fight the good fight of the faith. You're going to live your life in fear of the Lord. And his compassion on you is going to spill over into the lives of your children. Kevin Malone fall on his knees in prayer, prayers of faith, agonizing, fighting prayers of faith that brought his son back to life, which led him to know Jesus, which is the greatest victory of all. And he may have had regrets, but from that point forward, there were no regrets. And so I simply want to call us fathers, individuals, all of us, starting today, to make sure that we live our lives in fear of the Lord because God's compassion will rest upon us. And if we live our lives in fear of the Lord, we will lead our children to becoming everything that they need to become. You aren't called to give your kids the best experiences or the nicest things. You're called to lead your kids spiritually. You may have a wayward son or a daughter. You may have a struggling son or daughter. You may have a son or a daughter that has turned their back on God. You may have a son or a daughter that doesn't know God. And fighting the wrong fights will never 
have any influence over that relationship. But living life in fear of the Lord can and will. And I want to trust and believe with all of us dads, all of us individuals this morning, that if we'll live lives in fear of the Lord, then his compassion will spill over into our kids. We will be better fathers if we live in fear of the Lord. We will be better mothers and brothers and friends and sisters and co-workers if we live our lives in fear of the Lord. So here's how I want to end our time together on this Father's Day. With just a simple call to prayer. If you're here today, starting with fathers, if you're a father, if you have a child or children, and you would say, regardless of the past, regardless of my priorities in the past, regardless of what my past looks like, starting today, I'm going to live my life in the fear of the Lord, under his compassion, that I might lead my children spiritually. I just want to invite you to stand and let me pray over you. And I'm the first standing. Starting today, I want to live my life in fear of the Lord, asking him to have compassion on me that I might fight the spiritual fight for my children and never give up on what he has in store for them because I simply have reverence for him. And now to join all the fathers, if you're here today and you just say, I want to live my life in reverence of the Lord. Man, woman, student, it doesn't matter. If you would say, that's me starting today, I want to make sure I'm living my life in the fear of the Lord. Would you stand and let me pray for you as well? Lord Jesus, today you see a group of men and women, a group of fathers, a group of individuals, moms, children, brothers, sisters, friends, co-workers, a group of sold-out individuals who realize that our greatest fight in this world is the fight of the faith. And we commit together in this moment, Lord God, to living in the fear of the Lord. And we ask that you would have compassion on us. And as we live lives in fear of the Lord, may we have compassion on our children. May we lead them well. May we fight for their spiritual well-being. When they struggle spiritually, may we grieve for them. May we fight for them. May we intercede for them. May we pray for them. May we lead them by example. If they've drifted away from the Lord, may we fight for them. If they don't know the Lord, may we fight for them. If they're sold out to Jesus, may we continue to fight for them. And as we live our lives surrendered to you in the fear of the Lord, I just pray that your compassion would be upon us, Lord God. And that would spill over into us having compassion on our kids. Give us perspective, Lord God, that it's not about making more money or providing more opportunities or giving better experiences that most benefits our children, but it's us simply living lives in fear of the Lord. And as we commit to that today, I pray that you would compassionately, abundantly bless us with children who follow in our example. I pray blessings over every family, over every individual represented here today and ask, Father, for a miraculous, immeasurable compassion to be bestowed upon us as we live in fear of the Lord. And we thank you for all that you're going to do in us and through us. 
In Jesus' name, amen.